Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. This morning, we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter two. And so we're walking through, this is our third message in the book of Ephesians. And this is just Paul continuing, right, with all of these words. And there's a little bit of a rant and a little bit he gets distracted. His ADD kicks in and he starts here and he goes over here. And then he comes back here and he always gets distracted on how good God is and some kind of Jesus message that interrupts a lot of what he's saying um, a lot of the time. And so he starts, anytime somebody comes to you with a question and says, do you want the bad news first or the good news first? What do you want first? You want the bad news first, right? Thanks, Hugo. Uh, so you want the, the bad news first. And so Paul's doing the same thing. He starts off this section of Ephesians. And remember, there weren't chapters in the original letter that he wrote to the Ephesians. This is one long thing. So he didn't go, now we're going to talk about the bad news. Like, it's not a break. It's just a continuation of where we just were. Remember last time I did tell you that. I was like, man, and he seems to do a lot of and, and this, and this, and this, and this. So if you look at the first word uh, of chapter two, verse one, what is it? And a little bit more. We're just gonna continue to roll in this run-on thought that he has been uh, professing. And he said, so we're just gonna break this down in four different sections and go through verse 10. We're gonna read a little bit, gonna stop and talk about it, and then we're gonna read a little bit more, and that's gonna be how we roll today. So verse one, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is the bad news, by the way, right? Starting with the bad news. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. So, uh, right here at the beginning, we're going to dive into the bad news, which is sin. So aren't you glad you came? We're just going to go all over sin for a second. Here's what we're learning about sin. The Bible doesn't, all the Bible is related to each other, right? So we learn, we get clarification from certain passages of scripture, from the greater context, context the greater message of scripture. So we're going to look at some other places that help us understand, understand sin a little more completely. So number one, I want us to understand that sin is by everyone. Everyone is in the same boat. Welcome to the party. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all in the same boat. We all have the same condition. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible teaches us that sin is number one by birth. Psalm 51 says, indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. So right from the beginning, I had a sin nature in my DNA. Nobody has to teach a kid how to lie. Nobody teaches somebody how to be selfish. We're born with those tendencies of self-preservation and rebellion against God. And so you may go, well, that's not fair. Well, hold on. Sin is also by choice. 
Ecclesiastes 7 says, there is certainly no one righteous on the earth who does good and never sins. There are times where we choose sin all of our own. So we were born into it, but we also choose it. The ways of this world are constantly presenting alternative ways to live that are in contrast to God's ways. And we are prone to choose that over and over. And whenever we elevate the world's priorities over God's priorities, that's sin that we choose. It's all around us. It's luring us in. We're tempted into this all of the time. And our sinful nature by birth makes us vulnerable, and then we sin by choice as well. Sin is missing the mark. When um, Holly and I were leading the youth ministry in Wimberley, Texas, one of our youth workers was an Olympic archer, and her name is Kelly Shand. And I was teaching on this passage to the, the students one time, and she said, hey, do you know what we call it when you totally miss the mark in archery? Sin. Sin. Jake and I were out of town a few weeks ago, and we went to a, play, a pub that had like a dartboard, and the darts were like not awesome. You ever played darts with like a not awesome darts? And it's like you would throw that thing, and it was like, it, and it would just you know, and like bounce off and, and fall, that would be a sin. Like, even if it looked like it was going straight, what matters is where it ended up, right? If it didn't stick in the bullseye, missing the mark is called a sin. For us, the mark that we are called to is holiness and righteousness. That's true godliness. Matthew 5, 48 says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect, Leviticus, always go to, you can get a verse from Leviticus in a sermon, right? Leviticus 19, 2. Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. What's the mark? That. Perfection. Holiness. Righteousness. That's true godliness. That's what his standard invites us into. What we experience to be true, though, is that the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts and desires lead us to miss the mark on any given day at any given time. Sometimes we willfully, in a season of rebellion, just choose it. Sometimes we're influenced and it gets away from us. And we start it off with a small compromise that grows into a big compromise. The Bible teaches us that sin is a progressive disease. It doesn't ever just stay small. Once you participate in it and once you give audience to it, it starts like this and it gets bigger and bigger and the destruction grows larger and larger, impacting not only you, but the people around you. That's what sin does. It's contagious. It's destructive. It's terrible. If you remember the story of Jonah, it was Jonah. Jonah was the only one on the boat that had sinned. And what, who all was in the storm? Everybody else. Life was at danger because of the sin of one person. We don't often think about the impact of sin on not only our lives, but also in the lives of those around us. So sin is, is missing the mark. Sin is both by commission and omission. A commissioned sin is the willful act of doing something that violates God's commands in the scriptures. This is doing something you know you're not supposed to do. We see an example of this in Genesis chapter 3, where, God, um, where Adam and Eve say, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, right? They properly understand the instruction. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it. What's the mark? That. 
eat anything you want except this. What do they do? The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delight to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Do you see the contagious nature of sin right there at the very beginning? God said, don't eat it. And she ate it. And as soon as she sinned against God, she passed it around. Come sin with me. Come sin with me. That's a sin of commission. I understand what God said, and I'm willfully doing contrary to his instruction. Then there's sin of omission, which means not doing what is right or failing to do what was instructed. This is not doing something you know that you should do. And in James, it says it like this. So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. So to know the knowledge and violate it or to know the knowledge and just not walk in it, both are sin. Commission and omission. And then we learn from the Bible that sin is with consequences. It's with consequences. It says this kind of intense word, the phrase of we're children under wrath. Children of wrath. Who wants to be under wrath? Anybody? Yet that's where our sin puts us in opposition to a holy God who invites us into holiness and godliness and righteousness. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Sin comes with intense, real consequences. This doesn't surprise us. Now, if God was only just, there would be no hope for us because he would just see us in our sin and judge us and condemn us to eternity separated from him. That's how bad any sin is. We like to put an intensity to sin, like, oh, that's a really bad sin, or that sin's not so bad. God doesn't see it that way. Any sin is sin, and anything misses the mark is sin deserving wrath and the wages of death. Sin is an offense against God. It's in our DNA. It's also our choice. It's in us. We've committed sins of commission. We've committed sins of omission. We're all in that boat together. So how are we doing so far? That's the bad news. That's just the first three verses, right? So, okay, we're going to move on. In the next section we get to the good news. So in this section, Paul doesn't go with an and, he goes with a but God. So that's really bad news, but God has something greater for us. So God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You were saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. It's funny because if you look at that, like the you are saved by grace part right in the middle, 
Does it belong there? He comes back to that in a minute, but he's so excited about it, he just like drips it. It's like a little bit of a spoiler right here in the middle of this section. So we're gonna come back to the saved by grace when he talks more specifically by, about grace. But this is the good news. The, the, this is the gospel. Gospel literally means good news. And it drives me a little bit crazy in our culture today that everybody just says the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, as if everybody's talking about the same thing when they use the word the gospel. And I think we need to be a little more clear. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Jesus. This is the gospel. The, this is, um, it, it specifically means the good news of Jesus. There's no good news without Jesus. It's the good news of Jesus coming from heaven to earth to live a perfect life, to die the death of wrath that we deserve because of our sins, and raising victoriously from the grave to conquer death once and for all, and inviting us into his eternal glory, giving us his righteousness. He gives his perfect mark to us while taking our sin and the consequence that it deserves to the cross. That's the good news. That is the gospel. It needs all of those things or it's just hanging out in church. We have to understand all of it. It helps us. This is the good news. And here's the thing about good news. Good news wouldn't be good if there wasn't bad news. Jesus' death and burial and resurrection wouldn't have the power if the, the consequence and the power of sin wasn't real. So without the juxtaposition of the bad news of sin... The good news of Jesus loses power. It is what makes the good news good news. And the bad news is really, really bad. And the good news is really, really good. Right? Good news, and this is, he tells us a little bit more about those things. The good news comes from a good God. The good news comes from a good God. It says that he is rich in mercy because of his great love. He's rich in mercy because of his great love. He loves you. He loves you enough to not leave you in the consequences of your sin. It's not just something to make himself feel better. God is fine. He doesn't need anything but he's loving and compassionate and generous and kind. And so he chooses out of an overflow of his love to give good news as an offer and an invitation to us. It says he's made us alive even though we were dead. Since Chris, you know, talked about a really old worship song, we can talk about a really old movie, right? Anybody seen The Sixth Sense? All right, it's maybe a bit of a spoiler, sorry. You should have seen it by now, come on. But like, what does he say? He goes... I see dead people and they don't know they're dead. They don't know they're dead. Surrounded in this world by people who are following the ways of the inclinations of their flesh, thinking that it's good, those are dead people who don't know they're dead. This is the expression dead man walking, which is having to do with the prison when there was an, an inmate on death row and they were being led to their execution, the other prisoners would shout out, that's a dead man walking. Because that walk ends in one place. And it's not the mark of holiness. It's punishment for sin. Now hopefully, I know there's people get saved on death row, so that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the wages of sin is death. And in that sin, we are dead men and women walking towards eternity separated 
from God. That's why this is so powerful. Paul says, so we are made alive even though we were dead people walking. We were dead in sin, walking a dead end life. Walking was, was common Hebrew imagery. So when they would talk about their life, they would talk about it as a walk. And sometimes you hear, how's your walk? How's your walk with God? It's because it's a journey that's heading towards something. And the question is, what are we walking towards? What are we walking with? With things opposed to God or things that are in God? What are we walking? We were dead walking towards those things. And theologians say that the backdrop of this passage that Paul is, is teaching comes from Ezekiel 36 and 37. So if you're looking for some homework uh, for the rest of the week, maybe you want to write down Ezekiel 36 and 37. And 37 is the passage of the Valley of Dry Bones. And so Israel had chosen to walk away from God. And he allowed them to walk into a place of exile that was a place of discipline, that was a place of consequence for their sin, but God still had plans for the people, and so they, they see this valley of dry bones, and he sends a prophet to address the dry bones and to speak life and breath into them so that they would live again. You were dead in your trespasses, but you are to live again. The breath of heaven allows us to live again. So we see these, these things. Good news is coming from a good God who's made us alive even though we were dead. And then it says that we were saved by grace in this outburst that he can't control that we're going to come back to in just a minute. Then it says he's saving you a seat in heaven in Christ. Kind of makes me think of like, middle school lunchroom. It's like, I'll save you a seat. What? You save me a seat? Yes. So you don't have to sit with the outcast. You don't have to sit on the hot patio on a hot Houston day. It's like, I'm going to save you a seat at a place that matters. I'm saving you a seat in heaven. We are created for eternity with Jesus. And so this good news from a good God is calling us from death to life through grace, and it's saving us a seat in heaven. It's the promise of eternal life. It's part of the gospel. We don't live just for here and now. We live for the hope of glory for all of eternity because that's what God has invited us to. And then it says, so he can keep giving us, and I love this, if you were here last week, a couple different times, Paul's talking about being rich and it having nothing to do with money. He's talking about the lavish goodness of God, being rich in Christ. And here he says it again. He says, so he can keep giving us the immeasurable riches of Christ through his kindness through Jesus. He's talking about being, he wants us to be rich, but not with anything that this world offers. That's not rich. Being rich in the world's eyes is likely being an enemy of God. It's choosing what he doesn't choose. Chasing what he doesn't want us to. He is, he is inviting us to experience the reality of if you have Jesus, you need nothing else. You can be rich like that. Rich is to be in Christ through the good news of the gospel. So that's the gospel. That's the good news part. Ready to move on? I hope you're saying yes. 
Got three more verses. We're getting there. So next, this, he talks about God's good gift. God's good gift. And it starts in verse eight. And it says, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this not from yourself. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. So that no one can boast. So we are saved. This is, an, this is the invitation to salvation. This is how you become a follower of Jesus. This is how you wear the name Christian is because you go through this process of, of believing the good news of Jesus. And then it says you were saved by grace through faith, not from yourself. You can't save yourself. Grace means this, getting what you don't deserve. Grace is the undeserved favor of God, the undeserved favor of God. That's what grace is. I think we can put that one up, James. The undeserved favor of God. Just good to see it, right? Good to say it a million times. Salvation is not because of anything that we do. We will never be good enough to earn the salvation. It is God's gift, and when we don't see it as a gift, we cheapen it. It can't be replaced. It can't come from anywhere else. It's the undeserved favor of God. There's a, a theologian named Constantine Campbell who said this. He said, it's an unmerited, unprompted, God-initiated action. It's an unmerited, unprompted, God-initiated action. Philip Yancey tells a story in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, which is a fantastic book, by the way. What's So Amazing About Grace? During a British conference on comparative religions, experts from around the world debated what, if any, belief was unique to the Christian faith. What sets the Christian faith apart from everything else? And they began eliminating possibilities. Incarnation, well, other religions had different versions of God's appearing in human form. Resurrection, other religions had accounts of return from death. The debate went on and on until C.S. Lewis walked in the room, right? And he goes, what's the rumpus about? And he heard in reply that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among world religions and Lewis responded, oh, that's easy. It's grace. What is the distinction about what we believe as Christians that other world religions don't? The unmerited favor of God. It's grace. It's nothing else. By grace, through faith. And I love how Hebrews 11 defines faith. Faith is the reality of what is hoped for and the proof of what is not seen. What's faith? It doesn't get any clearer than that. A hope bigger than anything that we can see. A hope is being certain of these things that aren't yet, that God promises. So by grace, God offering this as a gift, by faith, believing that it's true, is how salvation comes. And it's a gift that is distinct from human confidence. You can't pull up your bootstraps into the kingdom of God. You can't self-discipline into enough obedience to be right with God. 
It is exclusively only something that we can receive. We have to receive. You can't will yourself to faith. You can't discipline yourself to faith. It's what you receive from God, and it requires complete humility to recognize ourselves as sinners, to believe in the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and to see God going, here it is. And our only play is, thank you. I needed that. I have no other hope but to receive that which God is offering to me. It's a submissive reality, which means if anybody's boasting about their salvation, it gets complicated. Because it says this, not from works, no one can boast. Not from works, and, and here's what I, how I want to say it. Like, our salvation is God, it's not from works, but it's for works, right? So works are a part of our salvation experience, but they come after, not before. Grace first works as a consequence of the gift of God that we have received. And then he takes us home in verse 10, for we are his workmanship. These are God's good works. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And I love this word, uh, workmanship. It's a word that we get uh, our English word poem from. So when it's talking about workmanship, it's talking about an intentional, creative expression for the purpose of expressing the beauty of God into the world. So when he's saying that we are God's workmanship, it's as if you are a poem that God wrote to express his beauty to the world in a way that is unique and distinct from any other poem that he wrote. It has to do, it could be a picture of fabric and fabric on its own is just like this material. Do we have any weavers in the house? Any knitters? Any, we have quilters? Yeah, you know, it's amazing. It's coming back around, right? But you can, but fabric in the hands of an artisan becomes something more beautiful than it could ever become on its own. Friends, you are God's fabric in the hands of a creative creator who's pouring his love into a world and expressions that other people can see. You can't do that yourself. God made you that way. Psalm 139 says, for it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb and I will praise you because I've been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous and I know this very well. You were created to experience the life altering good news of Jesus first and then to be transformed into a good news ambassador walking the creative the creativity of God who made you and placed you exactly where he wanted you to be. And you were made for good works. You're not to do good works to attract God's favor. He gives you his favor and you receive it. And then as a result of that, you walk towards his mark of gospel truth and grace. We did it. 
Made it all the way through. A couple of things to close up. So in response, I think there's some things that we could respond to. And so let's go ahead and put that next slide up, please. So number one, how do we make this real? Are you here like, and you don't, you don't know if you're a Christian or, or you're still having doubts about your security and your faith and, and you, you just haven't seen it very clearly yet or I don't know, maybe you just stumbled in today and you never even thought about this before. <coughs> Excuse me. In light of the bad news, our sinful condition, in light of the really good news, the solution to our sinful condition, in response to God going, here it is. Would you like to receive it? And I just take it. And then I walk towards that for the rest of my life. The first thing that we do is we need to confess. You confess two things. Number one, you confess that you were a sinner in need of a savior. You confess your sin. Step one, sometimes that's not comfortable. Sometimes it's not easy to go like, you know what? I am a sinner. I have sinned, I do sin, and that sin is something that is in opposition to God and I'm choosing things that aren't him and it breaks my heart. I recognize the significance of the sin in my life. You have to confess it. That's me, I'm the man. Even Paul, towards the end of his life, he's like, I'm the chief. He said he was the chief of sinners. It's Paul. Wrote most of the New Testament and he never stopped confessing his being a sinner in need of a savior. So first we just confess that that's us. And then we confess with our mouth that we believe that Jesus is the Messiah sent from God, the gospel power of his perfect life his death, burial, and resurrection, taking the consequence of our sin and offering us the opportunity to hit the mark for the first time. His righteousness, not ours. We have to have his. So we confess that we believe that. And then the next thing we do is we repent. And repent just means to turn. I recognize that I'm being influenced every day in a direction that God is not wanting me to walk. So I'm gonna repent and I'm gonna turn away from that influence and I'm gonna turn exclusively to the influence of Jesus. And that is where I'm gonna walk. I'm gonna turn away from deception and I'm gonna turn towards the influence of Jesus. I'm gonna turn away from compromise and destruction and I'm gonna turn towards hope and faith. I'm gonna repent. And then... You just receive it. Thank you, God. I receive this gift today, and I will be your child from here forward. If you've never done that, you can do it right now. Right now. Receive his forgiveness and salvation by grace through faith. And with that, we receive his Holy Spirit. Because you know what's also true? On this side of eternity, we're never gonna be perfect. And he knows we need help. And so he said, I'm gonna send my helper, the Holy Spirit, to help continue your walk, to help you learn, to help you grow, to help remind you, to help lead you. You're gonna have to receive the Holy Spirit as well.
It's another part of the gift. And then finally, it's walk in the good works that you were created for. We're no longer walking as children of wrath, but we're walking with the good news given to us by our good God down the lifelong road of good works until we sit down in our heavenly place with Christ for all of eternity. I'm gonna put this up there so we can all just see it. Let us walk with the good news given to us by our good God down the lifelong road of good works until we sit down in our heavenly place with Christ forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. This is the gospel. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rin-church.org.